If you have ears to hear, listen, the theological endeavour of listening to the voices of girls aged 7 to 14. In a context that consistently undervalues the voices of girls and women, should we think about the action of researching girls 7 to 14 as a theological endeavour? This paper introduces the work of tuning into the girls' collective voices by accompanying them in an ethnographic case study of Girls' Brigade mission. This research subverts the popular idiom of needs a good talking to, changing it to needs a good listening to. Let the girls speak and let them speak theologically. This paper will focus on the rationale and meaningfulness of doing this work and using a particular method rather than presenting conclusions. Given the emphasis on really listening, I framed this research project as fundamentally collaborative, trying to characterize it as coming alongside each other pastorally and as co-pilgrims. In this way, the work is structured by the worship model of call and response, and the presence of God in that summons to speak, as well as in the response to what has been heard. We attend to each other. It has involved the spiritual disciplines of waiting, watching, and reflecting back. I understand this through the stories of Mary Magdalene's experience, waiting at the cross, watching at the tomb before reflecting back to others, Jesus is risen. This study has used creative methods, mirroring the play cycle Brown and Taylor present, whereby an invitation or cue is given to freely join in, and the respondent returns that cue with their own response. A visualization activity invited the girls to communicate their perception of their life, how they spend their time, the significant the significant events and relationships that have shaped their experience, the challenges they encounter, and their understanding of God. This creative conversational cycle spiraled with further dialogue, picking up on aspects and going deeper in explanation. Listening to a group within the Christian church that has rarely had the expectation of a theological voice is in itself a theological endeavor, and this is reflected in the methodology framing this study as this paper will establish. It demonstrates how the catalyst for listening, as well as the act of listening well, are theological tasks. As Baptists together value the principle of a priesthood of all believers, this paper helps to consider what this might mean for the seven to 14 year old girls within our churches. It evokes questions like, what might it mean for Baptists to listen theologically to what these young women are saying about God and their calling as disciples? I will examine the act of listening, practically and theologically, as fundamental to my methodology. I begin by contextualizing the experience of girlhood to explain what, what might not be transparent to listeners. I use the term girlhood to capture the experience of being a girl in the age range of seven to 14 years. This is a transitional phase as young prepubescent girls become young women as they navigate adolescence and puberty. It is a messy phase, not coinciding with the usual school transitions. This messiness reflects something of the lived emotional and hormonal turbulence experienced by these girls. Yet this group reflects the development from concrete to abstract thinking, logical to divergent problem solving, the physical and biological changes for many moving from prepubescent to puberty, and the maturing of spirituality into faith for some. Being a girl has never been more complex. Neuroscientific research explaining the neural plasticity of the brain challenges the previous held perception of gender being a binary system of male and female. The implications of this challenge, our, the implications of this challenge our existing understanding of language, education, parenting, marketing, authority, and even theology. Gender theorist Judith Butler argues that gender is not a stable concept, 
and that there are particular behaviours associated with girls that she characterises as girling. This performative act of gendering continues as an individual matures and seeks their meaningful identity. One is not born a woman but becomes a woman, writes Simone de Beauvoir. Gender is shaped further by socio-cultural norms. Childhood, its experiences and events, along with those significant people within it, will shape and form this social construct as it continues to evolve over the years. The significance of this for young girls growing up today in our Western European culture is hugely important because they have a more fluid understanding of themselves, identity, and gender than many of the adults around them. These girls are growing up with a backdrop of a new sexual revolution, or perhaps the retribution and clarification of the original. From the media, they know of the Me Too campaign and the historical child sex abuse reviews. The sexualization of young women perpetuates, perpetuates stereotypical images rather than acknowledging and celebrating the strength of female prowess. These girls are encouraged to learn about the movement and personal endeavors to inspire and bring about gender equality. They are witnessing the acknowledgement and respect for the work of those women who, like the suffragette movement, have fought for justice and equal rights. They continue to need positive role models to inspire them and the sisterhood of female friendship that empathize. Times are changing, and for girls growing up in today's world, this is significant and overwhelming. Its totalizing effect impacts their own expectations, aspirations, and intentions for fairer society. The construct of girlhood is always changing. Therefore, it is our moral duty to be attentive to their experiences and consequent self-understanding. Let those who have ears to hear, listen. The Victorian idiom that children should be seen but not heard suggests that children and young people utter little of substance and value worthy of listening to. Whilst this outdated, patriarchal perspective has been subverted by more progressive thinking, including Article 12 in the United Nations Conventions of the Rights of the Child, that states every child has the right to be heard and to have their decisions taken seriously, the current mental health crisis amongst our young people suggests that we still do not have the balance right. The State of the Nation 2019 report on children and young people's well-being states this. Psychological health was poorer for girls than boys of the same age, but declined over adolescence for both boys and girls. This emphasizes the importance of understanding teenage girls' experiences. Let those that have ears to hear listen. It is when we listen to one another that we show how much we respect and value the other. Giving space to tell one's own story affirms and nurtures their sense of significance. Making use of open-ended, Socratic questions as we talk together helps prompt and provoke conversation to grow rather than to be closed down. As children and young people speak, those listening begin to see the world through their eyes. This in turn gives insight and helps build understanding and trust. It is a common misconception that listening is a passive activity, but active listening is far from that. In her book, Adolescence, Anne Wheel describes active listening as a combination of using the ears and eyes to receive messages and signals, backed up by actions such as nodding and verbal prompting, which show the speaker that you are interested and that you are taking notice of what is being said. There are four different levels that we are listening to. The head, the heart, the feet, and the body. That is a lot to be listening to, 
And doing so is responsive to the needs of a particular vulnerable group, as I've explained before. But as theologians, why should we bother? From a Christian perspective, it might be that the voice of the child is indeed prophetic. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, as Paul writes in his letter to Timothy. But what does it mean to listen? To listen is a spiritual discipline. It involves waiting, as Mary did when Jesus was hung upon the cross. Watching in the way Mary saw where the soldiers laid Christ's body and knew where to return with the embalming oil and spices. Reflecting back as she did, running to tell the disciples in hiding that Jesus was risen and was alive. This may seem countercultural in today's fast moving, ever changing society. So, listening is something intentional and a discipline to practice. We see this in particular spiritual methods such as Ignatian spirituality. Conversation is an exchange that can build relationship and initiate exchange. Social learning theorists like Lev Vygotsky argue that this social exchange is needed for each participant to move beyond what they already know into places of new understanding. This is mirrored in the call and response within worship, shaped by our ecclesiology. The voice calls out, seeking connection with others, and those hearing the call respond, acknowledging that they have heard and listened, engaging with what has been said. Educationalist Paulo Freire uh, advocated for dialogue, arguing that it, quote, requires great faith in humankind, faith in their power to make and remake, create and recreate, faith in their vocation to be more fully human, which is not the privilege of an elite, but the birthright of all. Frere explains that through conversation, there is an exchange of some kind. It is based on a cooperative principle, at its best, there is mutuality of interest, respect, and basic politeness. At its worst, for our cautions, it becomes oppressive, lacking humility and hope. It is not just social pedagogies, pedagogies that, quote, believe that all people, whatever their age, are valuable, and that they convey their understanding in how they communicate and relate to other people. Theologian Joyce Mercer claims, Adults, by listening carefully to girls, can participate in helping them sort out what their perspectives, feelings, and experiences mean to them. So I shall now share how these voices, seldom expected to be theological, offer the Baptist family a particular worldview and challenge to be attentive to the way they already embody the principle of being part of the priesthood of all believers, if only those that have ears to hear were to listen. Conversely, Mary Magdalene is said to be one of the people who accompanied Jesus and the disciples, a forgotten theological story about an overlooked woman deemed insignificant. Mary, in her accompanying, watched on. She listened into the conversations, the storytelling, and the teaching of Jesus. She followed Jesus. This was not the done thing, and certainly was not done by women in her day, and she contributed from her own resources, thus enabling the ministry of Jesus. Mary is a good metaphor for both for the girls as disciples and for the ethnographer seeking to enable the ministry of those girls. As a youth worker, accompanying is a method of informal education I'm familiar with in my practice. Janet Batsleer explains how fundamental to this is conversation that supports growth into autonomy and freedom. Speaking theologically, we might consider this discipling, 
As a metaphor, accompaniment conveys something of the companionship on a journey. Do not try to call them back to where they were, and do not call them to where you are, as beautiful as that place may seem to you. You must have the courage to go with them to a place that neither you nor they have ever been before. By entering the social world of a uniformed youth organisation like the Girls' Brigade, I took the role of being an ethnographer, in practical terms, a participant, observer, and, speaking theologically, an accompanier. Accompanying in this manner is an anthropological concept that implies walking in rhythm with the subject to learn and to understand, and it has enabled me to engage with the dynamics of membership, program, and participation. I have tried to experience the group as the girls do, actively listening to the exchanges between leaders and members. Conventional ethnographers speak for their subjects. Critical ethnographers, by contrast, accept an added research task of raising their voice to speak to an audience on behalf of their subjects, as a means of empowering them by giving more authority to the subject's voices. Theologically speaking, this resonates with the voice from the wilderness. It calls us to a new place. It speaks truth to power, a call to attend to Christ. It challenges and unsettles the status quo. It calls us from the desert and the hard place. Might the ethnographer be calling to the girls as the prophetic voice to empower them to fully embrace their humanity and smash the glass ceilings? Or is the ethnographer challenging the theologians to consider whose voice they listen to, give opportunity and power to? Practical theology, like ethnography, is attentive to the lived situations of human beings everywhere. Sharon and Weigand, in their book Ethnography as Christian Theology and Ethics, assert that there is no other place to look for God than is mediated through the messy place that is the world. And I would argue that the messy phase of girlhood is just such a context. To be theological, we need to grapple with messy realities and Participant observation, i.e. accompaniment, is a marvellous way to initiate access to them. As a research methodology, ethnography is context-based and focused. As ethnographer, I entered the context to know it better and to learn from it, an incarnational approach, stepping into the group and immersing myself within it to know more and understand it better. The everyday context makes it a naturalistic process. Data is collected fluidly and through less formal, unstructured methods, through watching, listening, and accompanying. It goes for depth rather than breadth, valuing the relational dimension and more discursive approach. Are there insights to our sense of becoming in God, which can only be glimpsed and understood through the journeys of girlhood to womanhood? Anglican priest John Pridmore, writing about the spirituality of childhood, argues that the mystery of childhood should not deter us from searching for what it tells us about the children we were, the children we are to nurture, and the children we must become. How do we understand what this means unless we pay attention to girls? Are these girls holding up a mirror to show us how we, or adults, or church, or society are all becoming? The girls are potentially prophets who mediate God. At the beginning of this paper, I explained my focus on this stage of girlhood and gave my rationale for why this matters. Girls' lives are amongst those that mediate God to the world, which we already seek to recognize in the language of universal priesthood. And moreover, their particular context summons us to learn as theological accompaniers. I have outlined the components of good conversation and the importance of attentive listening. 
The theological endeavour of listening to girls through ethnographic research and the youth work model of accompanying has been discussed. So in this final section, I will bring these threads together to show how the spiral of creative conversation contributes to the tapestry of life, wherein we see the becoming of theological character. Creativity takes place when an idea, action, or product changes an existing domain or creates a new one. This can be based on the question, what if? That playfully tinkers with what is known to unearth new understandings. Creativity can thrive on the social interaction of a group dynamic and also from the exchange within conversation. Put simply, it is like the cycle of play, which is initiated with a desire or interior drive to play. This releases an invitation or cue to play from the player to another. If that invitation is returned, either to the initiator or to another, the cycle of play forms a frame which connects the players and keeps the cycle spiralling. It should be noted that the play frame is fragile and vulnerable to fracture if its movement is interrupted or stifled. As an educator and children's worker, play has been fundamental to my youth work practice. But I also see how it is applicable in other contexts, including research methodology. Research begins with a question. Many questions, in fact. This is the drive to investigate. The researcher seeks to recruit participants, thus sending out a cue or invitation to join in. Participants that are recruited have given their return to the researcher by entering into the project. This drives the researcher to ask more questions about methods as well as subject-specific detail. So the researcher sends out another invitation, engaging more specifically with participants through chosen methods. Participants respond with the return of initial data. As the researcher engages with the data, it creates the drive to know more. In research terms, that is, interrogating the data. The researcher may send a further cue to participants following up on initial data to go deeper. Participants return further data in response, and so the cycle continues. But it does not only apply to the methodology that frames the inquiry. It can also apply to the method of data collection. My drive to hear the girls' voices was the catalyst for inviting their participation in a guided visualisation activity. Their response was to participate and annotate images. As I analysed their return, I had a drive to know more, so created a pop-up board of questions for them to interact with and continue the dialogical cycle. In the same way that there are people who avoid looking in mirrors, uncomfortable to be confronted by their reflection, there are many who struggle to be reflective about their work, actions, feelings, and wider world issues. Yet, reflection as a sustained, disciplined, spiritual practice is what Michael Patterson argues consists of looking, looking, and looking again, until what is seen provokes wonder, insight, and response in the beholder. It requires observation, scrutiny, and examination. As with all spiritual exercises, there is a need for attentive listening. So, is this creative spiral of conversation at one level holding a mirror to the girls to consider life during this girlhood phase, and at another level holding it up to academia to view research methodology more creatively? We should not dodge the reflection in the mirror. Are we seeing Jesus? The starkest image mirrored may well be the one the girls reflect back to us that shows us what we are becoming. Let those that have ears to hear listen. Thank you.